0: Content warning. The following podcast contains material that involves self harm, mental illness, eating disorders, profanity, and other graphic contents.
1: Hey, everybody, we're back. And for our final episode, that's weird, final episode, um, we're going to be focusing on intersectionality and diversity in mental health. Um, I'll be leading today. If you can't recognize by now, this is Kaylee. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jess is
2: also here. And Sarah is also here.
1: <laughs> who would have thought? All three <laughs> of us.
0: <laughs> Glad to be back.
1: Um, so. I did a lot of research for this episode just because I felt like for this, it's kind of important to have a lot of, you know, statistics. Cause oh, okay. there can be a lot of people like denying things. There's always deniers of everything. We all know that. Um, yeah. So I'm just going to start out with some like general statistics. Uh, and since we are focusing on intersectionality, I first wanted to look into uh, the LGBTQ community cause I feel like I know their numbers are significantly higher. Um, Yep. so approximately 9 million U S adults, not, um, or youth, which is 3.8% of our entire population identify as lesbian or gay, um, bisexual or transgender. So most of that population is lesbian or gay or bisexual. Those are the three main groups. Um, just percentage-wise, but LGBTQ individuals are more than twice as likely as heterosexuals to have a mental illness or mental health disorder in their lifetime, so that alone is a lot.
2: I mean, you know, it does make sense with the additional stress Mm -hmm. and all of the other stigmas around it, like it makes sense that there would be external factors playing into the internal struggles.
1: Well, yeah, that's a huge part of it is they're more likely to be victims of violence compared to heterosexual yeah. peers. They're more at risk for violence. Um, it's even higher in the LGBT community for undocumented and racial and ethnic <laughs> minorities. Um, so that alone is going to make you targeted. Um they they experience a lot of stigma and a lot less social support luckily we've grown in the last decade to support them more but uh these lgbtq individuals are 2.5 more per, like times more likely to experience depression anxiety and substance misuse compared to heterosexual individuals like wow. that alone should kind of jolt your system yeah uh, yeah 9 million people. And this again, isn't including youth. This is adults here that we're talking about 18 and older. And so you can imagine children that are struggling to find their, you know, sexuality and come to terms with it. Those percentages are probably going to be higher just because most of the time people identify and can self identify later on in life. Not everyone comes to terms with that at a young age. Um, And when we start getting into these like cross-cultural groups, Um, that's when things get even trickier. Uh, Transgender individuals who identify as African-American, Hispanic or Latino, American Indian, Alaska Native, or multiracial are at an increased risk of suicide attempts to white transgendered individuals.
2: And, I mean, also they're statistically higher to have um – violence perpetrated against them, homicides, uh, sexual assaults. I mean, every kind of violence, both Mm -hmm. physical and verbal, I feel they have a higher chance of receiving.
1: Well, and you have to think, approximately 18% of U.S. adults have a diagnosable mental disorder in a given year. That's in a given year. That's like, those numbers stack up. And if we're being honest, a huge portion of them a significant portion is those in the LGBTQ community.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Also, we're just talking about diagnosed.
1: Yes, that is a big point. Yeah. We have to think, too, and that's all people that have already, you know, identified as LGBTQ, too. There's a lot of youth who still are like, no way, no way, that's not me. I'm, you know, straight, or I don't want to be targeted, or... I grew up yeah. in a household where I'm uncomfortable with like coming out, so yeah. that doesn't include all of the people that are in those tricky situations as well, which definitely right. adds to mental health strain. Yeah,
0: Absolutely. youth and adults.
1: Yes. Yeah. yeah. Like,
2: and I mean, in these in these situations with the intersectional existence in one identifying group, I feel like a lot of people are. Um, oh my God, I lost my entire train of thought. I was going to make such a good point there and it just disappeared.
1: You know, it's, it's just... These are things that I feel like when mental health is discussed, you know, there isn't always a recognition that different groups face it in different ways and for different reasonings outside of, you know, the general genetics or circumstantial. Like, if you're experiencing this lack of social support if you're experiencing like targeted acts of violence and you know things like that for who you are as a human being things you can't change of course it's going to come with like more significant detriments like you have to think as someone like me who is a white female the main thing i've ever experienced is just for being a woman like I'm pretty sure you said it last time, Jess. Like, you were like, I'm the target. I am the target audience. Like, let's be honest. Like, no, it yeah, is true. When you are facing multiple of these groups, too, like, separate, it's already hard enough. And then you combine them, and hell, like, it's sad. It sucks. I
2: remember it. I remember it. I oh, there we go. It. <laughs> <You just told laughs> it. I was going to say... when you are in these intersectional groups when you're identifying as more than one of them you have different kinds of stigma surrounding both of them whether it's mental health or sexuality sexual identity however you want to define it but because of that because of that external stigma people often have even fewer resources and fewer or less supportive support groups because of one issue or the other so i feel like the isolation when you exist as say For me, a mentally ill bisexual, (laughs) luckily, a a mentally ill bisexual, (laughs) (laughs) triple whammy, but I feel like a lot of times there can be factors from each of these that play into why they're all so impactful.
1: No, for sure. There's always, it's like, you know, ingredients and everyone's different (laughs) ingredients add to the result that they get you know, that, that's honestly, oh, I'm more talking like baking, I'm a baker, like, I'm like, you know, some people (laughs) have a little bit more of this, or like, that, that plays into their situation, like, being low income can affect things like that, like, struggling when you're young financially plays a role, but, you know, or like, oh, you were, say, uh, abused as a child, or things like that, those all play a role, but those are things that when you hear you're like, oh, like, yeah, there's going to be repercussions of that. And those are the main things that are talked about, I think, is, like, trauma. And it's these generalized traumas rather than talking about, like, okay, let's also break down just inherent shit that you can't control that kind of already, when you're put into this world, will therefore affect possibly your mental health or how you are and how you interact with the world.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's just, like, Stacking minority onto minority, like one person, and it's it's definitely so crazy. I mean, yeah, I think we've all identified a little bit here. So myself, like (laughs) African American, (laughs) is one thing by itself already. Like, and that has so many things that come with it. Mm -hmm. And then being a female is a completely separate issue on its own. Yeah. Um, But like that stacks on top of it. Yeah. Um, You know, I think this kind of ties
2: in, and I. unrelated but very related way to um, something I was reading this week in my philosophy class where part of one of the um, philosophers beliefs was that it's a love and emotion class so in that way it's not related but they talk about identifying properties and how the parts of us that are most crucial to our character are the parts of us that we identify with that become our like our properties that build us and I feel like these kind of properties are the ones that we can't change, like you were saying, with, like, the sexual identity, gender, um, mental health. These things are things that we identify with, and because of that, they are more impactful to us, and having them stigmatized is more impactful than, say, like, one of those one-off uh, situations that you were talking about.
1: Now, obviously, I just threw an aggressive amount of statistics about <laughs> yeah. LGBTQ people at you, Um <laughs> But here are some ones that actually kind of – I have a lot now. A lot of the rest of mine either cross between the LGBTQ and then um, just ethnic backgrounds. Um, But there were some that just really threw me, Uh, you know. There were ones that I was completely – like, it should be obvious, but it's almost sadder when you read it again and you read the numbers. The numbers, I feel like, to me, always catch me. Yeah. Um, people who identify as being two or more racist, which is 24.9% of our population, are most likely to report any mental illness within the last year than any other re- ethnic group. So wow. if multiracial, people that identify as multiracial, are the most likely to report having mental illnesses, and this is followed by American... Native Americans and Alaska Natives, um, and, by, uh, and they're followed extremely closely by 22.7%. So, wow. those are reading up. It's a lot of, and it makes sense. We learn a lot about it in Hutchins, but like the turmoil that comes with colonization and that comes with being stripped of, like, you know, your culture and who you are and being your you know, tossed away. Like, and our the
2: generational trauma yes. aspect, too.
1: Our American Indians and Alaska Natives report the highest rates of PTSD and alcohol dependency than any other racial or ethnic group. And it's horrible to think. And it makes sense because of all of the things that they go through and that get passed down that, like you said, in generational trauma. Like, we read a lot about it in Hutchins. And it makes sense, actually, those reports in a horrific way and in a really saddening and disheartening way, they make sense. Yeah, because yeah. of the things that we've learned. Um, and then, of course, like, you get your your basic, it's, again, kind of another common sense thing, but it's just horrible, is that mental health problems are, you know, obviously common in people in the criminal justice system, um, which is, yep, which is, <laughs> but you have to, which literally that actually perfectly states and sums up my next, the end of that, <laughs> literally the end of that, which is, our criminal justice system, which has a disproportionate representation of re- racial and ethnic minor- minorities. Let's no. be real about that. Yeah. And approximately 50 to 75 percent of youth in, ju- in juvenile hall meet the criteria for mental health disorder. We have kids that are being put in there. Again, disproportionate representation of these groups being put yeah. in there as a youth and over a major- 50 to 75 percent. That is more than a majority. Like, that is an unbelievable amount. Meet the criteria for a mental health disorder. And, you know, I wonder why. Maybe because we lock them in a little cell and don't try to rehabilitate them and help them. Who would think Uh, that?
2: It's almost like our entire system is fucking broken. It's It's almost almost like... Almost. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, how how can people, like, this is... We are a group of college kids and these statistics are just there to see how can people see these statistics and actually argue for or just stand by the fact that in their minds, this system is not corrupt. I mean, holy shit.
0: You're not being affected by it.
1: Yes, you know, that, is the, it, that is the key. Or if you're not interested in actually educating yourself, that's a huge yeah. part. Like, I remember one of my classes last semester, we had to pick a book to, like, really in-depth analyze and it was a map there were memoirs and i remember the first book that caught my eye was about a guy who went to juvenile hall and taught kids and did a writing class in juvie and he like was very blatant about the fact that before he did that class he was like hell no i don't want to freaking go to juvie and do a writing class fuck this fuck these kids like you're in there for a reason let's be honest this is not the route i wanted to take with my life and this guy convinced him and he ended up going and he still does it and he still runs a writing class and he's like these kids are being so just like left in the dust he's like if you give them the opportunity to actually show themselves and like who they are like it it really does say something because he went in and he had them do these he went in with the kids that were like under the most violent offenses too like for like killing for gang violence and stuff and he went in and he was like right i don't care about grammar i don't care about what the topic is just write Write whatever you want and about whatever you want. And we're going to share. And he was like, some of the most beautiful pieces and ideas came out of these writings and he would take them home, type them up for them nice and put them in a folder so that they had like almost a portfolio. And he was like, I'm sorry, but these kids are underappreciated. You want to talk about their grammar and focus on that. Well, if you taught them the skills that they needed, if you know, you kept some form of education or rehabilitation in our system then, you know, their writing would be more of your version of clean. And he was like, he's like, it's hard because a lot of people go in and don't want to learn about these things. Like, you don't want to hear about it. You don't want to think about it, either because it's too hard for you or because you just don't care because, like you said, it doesn't affect you. But they're important. Like, these are important things that we need to learn about and, like, important things that we need to, you know, discuss and talk about as a society, as people who are free in the world right now who aren't yeah. locked up in a cell and struggling.
2: And, I mean, uh, like you said about that, it really is just, it's humanizing people who have been dehumanized. And I feel like that's such a big part that plays into the mental health issues mm-hmm. in the criminal justice system. <laughs> uh, sorry, I can't use that word. <laughs> <laughs> but in that system and I mean outside of as well rules, so many people struggle with it because it's a dehumanizing situation so humanizing the people who are struggling with these issues it makes it I feel like easier for other people to connect with
1: when you have to yeah. think too a lot of minority groups are dehumanized out in the regular yeah. general public yeah. so
0: yeah, actually. And I feel like I'm like I'm, well, excuse me <laughs> 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 a little me a A really big part of that, I'm thinking, is just really being heard. Mm -hmm. Like, um, of course, there's so many aspects that go into, like, feeling dehumanized by society and so many different things. But, like, just having the ability to be heard is such a big thing. And I think even just having a mental illness as a free person, quote, quote. um, Yeah. Just being heard is such a big part of it yeah and i think that like you were saying
2: before with the intersectional existence of it it's like as a person of just about any ethnic group that is not a cis white male you yeah. are dehumanized as someone yeah. who is in the lgbtq community you are dehumanized and i mean hell we were alive when legal marriage legal marriage when <laughs> when gay marriage was legalized and that was not long ago, no. and there are still people who don't view it as okay. They're, like, anything like this, a mental illness, a lot of people just, again, like we talked about in the past, and one of the past episodes or more, that it's, people believe it's just in your head, and you need to just try harder to not feel shitty. All of these, like, they're just invalidating and dehumanizing, and when you exist in more than one of those groups,
0: I mean, of course you're going to struggle.
1: Yeah. Well, when- and... Like when talking about the dehumanization, there are so many things that are set in our system that obviously have been a huge talk of the last year and for many years, but really blown up. It's just like the flaws within the system, the inequalities within the system that don't allow for, you know, groups to move up, for groups to have an opportunity to even have a voice. Um, or even be heard or seen or anything other than just stereotyped and marginalized and going with that, like literally one of the things that I looked up because I'm wanting, I was wanting to look up very specific groups as well. I wanted to look up like the different things with specific groups, black and African-American people are living or that are living below the poverty line, which is more than white Like, American people, obviously, as we all know very well, are twice as likely to report serious psychological distress than those living over the poverty line. Like, let's be honest, we have set up a lot of systems that keep people oppressed. We are a country that that is what we were founded on and that is what we were built upon is was oppressing others. And we're still doing that. And of course, that's going to take a toll. And it's going to take a toll in things like, you know, finances, but also very obviously mental health and growing up in an area where a lot of my like school, we had like gangs at our school. We had like colors you weren't allowed to wear a lot of because, well, affiliation, you don't want that. Like a lot of people didn't think that because half of my school lived in like the middle class area of the suburbs. And then the other half of my school lived in, like, low-income areas, like, low-income housing. And let's be honest, as someone who went to that school, I can tell you, just by looking at my school population alone and all the people that I knew, where a majority of the white people lived versus a majority of every other group. Like, and the people that we worked with in Peer Helping... It was a very diverse array, but there was a lot of low income people coming to us and being like, if even just it's a stress to like live, like to survive, that alone is going to cause stress, like struggling financially and struggling to get by alone is going to cause you some form of distress and some form of mental distraught because you are literally in like flight, fight or flight trying yes. to like keep yourselves yes. above water, working to pay for your your house at 16 years old to help your parents. like
0: Yeah. Like, adding that, I think stacking that youth label on top of that is yes. so, and so stressful. Like, it's not something that you're necessarily meant to be having to deal with no. at that point in your life, you know? Absolutely. And also, I mean, shout out to Wendy,
2: if you ever listen to this. <laughs> but in Wendy's class, we were just discussing how in – in, like, impoverished areas where people are growing up in poverty, there are higher rates of mental illness just in general because mm-hmm. of the stress on parents when when the mother is pregnant with oh. a child. The external stresses that she faces, whether it's emotional, physical, however it manifests, those, those stressors directly impact the development of the child. There are higher rates of diseases such as, like, schizophrenia, depression, bipolar, all of that are they increase in those kind of environments because it's unstable from childhood on. So the development process doesn't happen <laughs> the way that it's that it can in areas where there's more stability. And like you said, with the system just being what it is, it's kind of a self fulfilling prophecy in continuing that cycle because kids who are raised in that may at stay in that environment who will raise more kids who are in that environment. And it's just <laughs> It's just so hard when you know these facts and you don't know
0: how to help.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, yeah, it's definitely set up the way it's, it's broken to us, but it's working the way that it's supposed to work. Yes, for the
1: people that want it. Like, that's what they intended. Yeah, you
0: gotta keep them in
2: their place.
1: It just makes me, it just used to make me so heartbroken. I had so many people that I was friends with in, like, high school that were, like, oh, yeah, no, my parents work three-plus jobs each, and I'm watching and pretty much raising my siblings, or, like, oh, yeah, no, I'm working, but not because, like, I can do some fun things, but because, like, I literally have to give the paycheck to my family, and, like, I have to buy food.
0: Yeah. And, like,
1: I, we struggled financially growing up. Hell, my mom used to make $2 spaghetti every night and eat our leftovers because we didn't have enough food for just her. Like... She didn't get a haircut for, like, five years because – or, like, buy new clothes because she's like, I literally can't. Uh, yep. We shared a teeny tiny apartment for four of us, and we're genuinely, like, really not whole well off in any anyway. So even I, as someone who now is, you know, doing financially well, and my parents are were able to grow as, like, young teenage parents, um, and we're lucky in that, like – I'm still financially stressed and I didn't have it as bad as a lot of people did in high school. And I can't even imagine how much more stress and weight it would be on my shoulders if I had, because it is a large weight, you know, it is a really large weight to bear watching that and trying to, you know, minimize it for everyone else as much as you can, because you want to do what you can for your family. And it does cause a lot of like, you know, grief for, say, even buying something for yourself or, you know, feeling selfish when you don't want to be doing certain things. It's a lot of responsibility. And like you said, especially for youth, that's a, that's a huge responsibility to put on youths back of any age.
0: Yeah. I mean, and, I mean, to watch that, and then also like having those thoughts of like, okay, how am I going to
1: yeah.
0: break this cycle? Because
1: it's on you. You're the next generation. Yeah.
0: And you—if this is all you see and this is all you know—you like, have to just think about how how are you going to do it differently. And that's just like adding that stress onto like a 15-year-old, yeah, just being a 15-year-old, and then possibly dealing with being a minority in any of the categories. Like,
2: yeah. And I mean, I don't know if you're going to mention this at any, point, but these are under normal circumstances we're talking about. Yeah. These are under circumstances where can have jobs and be out in the world like yeah if if we factor in this shit show of the last year that we have been existing in I feel like that's just the cherry on top of all of the other stressors because having that much uncertainty on top of all of the other uncertainties and discriminations like I think I think that's why now more than ever, it's really important that we do open up the discussion of mental health more in public settings, because after this year, there are going to be a lot more people who are struggling with ramifications of what COVID-19 did to them and their families, and there are going to be a lot of people who are going to need resources to find help for themselves or their loved ones.
1: Oh, yeah, no, the statistics for 2020 are just unbelievable, because I, those statistics I gave you purposely did pre-pandemic. So I purposely gave you all pre-pandemic statistics first, because the pandemic alone does an unbelievable amount. Like, 2020. Okay, ready? Are Ready for these ones. These ones are fun. Okay, 2020. Who's ready for 2020 facts? Okay, 2020. Asian and Pacific Islander screeners. Made up 17% of the anxiety and depression screening population compared yeah. to 10% in 2019. So an increase of wow. 7% just among that population alone.
2: It nearly doubled.
1: Yep. So then we have the proportion of people sc- scoring with moderate to severe symptoms of anxiety was highest among Native American and American Indian screeners in 2020 at 84%. 84% of them were Native American during this period. Um, the proportion of people scoring with moderate to severe symptoms of depression was highest amongst screeners who identified as more than one race. More than one race made up 90% of people that scored in the moderate to severe symptoms of depression. So, Holy so multiracial. That is 90%. That is an unbelievable amount of people out of all of them screened. And, like, this is not a small population, mind you. This is not a small population of a poll that this is coming from this is also for anyone who wants to be like me is this realistic this is for mental health america statistics so let's be real i purposely found good sources with american psychiatric association things like that so these are real numbers from june to december of 2020 wow. black or african-american screeners who screened positive or moderate to severe for a mental health condition were more likely to say that racism was one of their top three conter- concerns.
2: Of course.
1: And okay. that is 19%, which is 18,351 people said this, that for, with their mental health condition, racism was one of their top three concerns that plays a factor into that, which is not shocking, but think about it. This is from again, limited screening. 18 over 18,000 and then followed by people more than one race, which is 12,000 and then native Americans, which was 10,000 or 10. Whoa. 10%. Whoa. Not 10,000, 10%, which is again, smaller, but still 19% for African Americans. And then more than one race, 12% and then native Americans, 10% like all of those populations, one of their main concerns that plays a factor into their mental health is their race. Like the fact that we're, ident- people are clearly identifying that. Huh. And we even as outsiders can clearly identify that, of course that makes sense. And that yeah. that plays a role that needs to be recognized and it needs to be discussed. And when we have this discussion of, you know, mental health in high schools and in those kinds of school settings, you can't just, teach it like everyone goes through the same, you know, processes. I think it needs to be recognized that, okay, there needs to be support, extra support for people that are more at risk. There needs to be extra things put in place to make sure that the people that are most susceptible aren't the same people that are falling through the cracks like they're falling through in every other aspect. Because let's be honest, that's how it is. Like, they're the ones being let down the most, they're the ones being hurt the most, and the ones that Deserve the most help and support to build, to be built up and to learn about these things because, again, they're the most at risk.
2: You put that so eloquently. Yeah, I think that is one of the most important things to consideration when we're talking about mental illness is that no one is coming into this with equal footing. There are countless factors that play into each person's struggles and to fix, not even fix the problem. Not the right phrasing, but to address the issues that they're facing, you do need to take into account all of the factors that are playing into it. Yeah, I think it's just a testament, really, to
0: the not broken but broken system. Yeah.
1: No, it it really is. It's
0: like it makes of course it makes sense that <sighs> of the people who are being left behind that they're being left behind because this country sadly is not
2: set up for every person to succeed no no you need to be a highly functioning white male well right yes
1: because even women alone they're more likely to be treated they're more likely to be diagnosed it is again almost double the amount of women to men that are at least identified you know with mental health and that a big or with mental illnesses and a big part of that, you know, is the stigma for men around mental health. That is a real thing. There's a yeah. large stigma grown when boys are young about what you you cannot cry, emotions being suppressed, you know, even when soldiers come back from horrific things, PTSD is still pushed under the rug because it's seen as something you don't want. So yeah. while diagnoses for this is definitely different, um, and there probably is a good portion that aren't being you know, diagnosed and that aren't being recognized. It is a massive amount of difference being recorded for men and women. Like one in four women will require treatment for depression at some point in their life compared to one in 10 men. Yeah. That is 25% compared to 10%. Like that is a massive difference.
2: That is a massive difference.
1: And like, Again, there is a lot of social factors that play into this, and it even is known that a lot of these stats for women as well are under, you know, represented. They're not in the, like, statistics. So even then, you have to know there's a huge portion of people, both men and women, that aren't being recorded. And of people with phobias or OCD, 60% of them are female. So a majority, that's over majority. Like men definitely have a higher rate for drug and alcohol problems, which can be an outlet or lead to mental health problems. Um, Either way, they kind of go, they can flip flop. Um, But women are the ones that are supposed to be you know, looking after their mental health and taking care of everyone else and all of these things. And so I feel like it makes sense that, you know, more women are, you know, in these statistics. We're supposed to be taking care of everyone else. But I don't know. I I have a hard time because I definitely agree that like, you know, oh, 25% of people who die by suicide are women, which that's lower than men obviously there are you know factors at play into each i think being a woman you know really does it have it its flaws it has its own flaws like yes there are men that are not underrepresented i will put that out there i'm not like, dismissing men's mental health as well but women we don't have it easy
2: <laughs> no i think absolutely of course yes men do face Many, many mental health struggles, particularly surrounding the stigma of kind of just like being seen as weak for expressing yeah. their emotions. That is one of the biggest things I've heard from my male friends that they struggled with. And of course, yes, that is totally valid. That is absolutely. I mean, the, the kind of the kind of treatment that we for, the kind of open discussion Mm -hmm. is for everyone. There is absolutely no discrimination when it comes to that. However, it is important to take into consideration, like you were saying, that, yeah, women statistically do have higher rates, and women in minority groups, women in the LGBTQ community, trans women, like these are all groups that have more and more stigma stacked on top of them, and each of those statistics will add up.
1: Yeah. Again, if you're a white, cisgendered male, middle class to upper class, <laughs> you are welcome here as well. Um, <laughs> you
2: are fucking valid. Okay. You're valid as well,
1: I promise. <laughs> you're, you're however, however...
0: <laughs>
1: if you, it, no, yeah. it needs, and those are the people that, there's a lot of people that when they are in that position of having, you know, the highest power... They don't recognize that which is under them. And that's kind of what we're bringing to attention. Like, yes. um, I know, you know, if my dad listens to this, he's a white, cisgendered, middle class man in like a very <laughs> normal family in the suburbs. But I'm like, so I'm like, I know, like, obviously not all of them are horrible. There is a lot of you, but you're not horrible. <laughs> um, but no, I want people like that to know and to hear this and to see this and to know that like my dad has three daughters and you are going to be more at risk. And, you know, there are going to be groups that need to be not more. I no actually I'm not going to say not. There are groups that need to be more focused on and need to be more supported in different ways. So,
2: sorry, I think a way of looking at it in that way is just like, yes, as a male and as a straight white male in our in our culture in our society, you can experience anxiety, depression, yes. bipolar, schizophrenia, you can have all of the issues, and they are entirely real, entirely horrifying and personal and difficult. and you can face all those struggles. And your class, your identity, your everything is not factoring into those struggles.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> your yeah, your race, your sexuality, your identity, is not contributing to those issues. You will have them, and they are valid. And there are other people who have those exact same problems as you, in addition to other things. And so that's why, if you are, if there is a white, straight male who's listening to this, who feels like he's under attack, just know that exactly what you are feeling, others are feeling. And so you can empathize, at least on that degree. And you can acknowledge that everyone those who are more at risk than you especially need the same kind of support that you
1: can get. Well, also if you're in that group, you're the most listened to. You're yeah. the most validated by our government and our society. Let's be honest. You're treated better than anyone else in our society is treated. Yeah. So at a minimum, at a minimum, you know, you can take this information and actually try to like, spread it try to recognize it and do some freaking good by it like it that's all i care about is if you can hear this and be like wow either i learned something or wow i realized like there's a lot of work that needs to be done that i have a lot of power over that others don't so maybe i could actually do some goddamn good for once that would be great that would be magic well, that would be <laughs> so nice if someone could just be like, holy shit, I'm so privileged. Um, I'm not gonna take advantage of everyone else. Let's actually try to do some goddamn good and implement <laughs> implement the systems that are going to help our future generations and help the people that we care about get the support that they need and get this added support.
2: Yeah, that that. Oh, yes, that is
1: my uh, screw you, all of you gross white men who are taking advantage of others there you go that's that's okay yeah
0: um when we were so just like discussing the like men versus women part um coming from my own experiences of like okay what what situations as a woman arose for me which caused me to oh that you know and like, obviously the first thing i think of is sexual assault of course um, and then i was just like so curious so that's why i've been a little quiet because i've been researching <laughs> trying to find a good source i love it and, uh, i really love it accurate before i say
2: it out here but...
0: i saw your eyes light up and
2: yep. the phone angle changed and i was like oh she's got
1: something <laughs> oh yeah no i could tell you were focused you were like in it and what's funny is over here. that's something i wanted to actually bring up to you guys is like you know the many different things that as a woman we face that you know adds to mental health because there is a lot more than i think people realize
2: yeah and actually i'm gonna circle back again to i think may if you're listening to this our (laughs) classmate uh she requested when uh we initially brought up the subject as uh our topic for the podcast she asked if we would be addressing how sexual and how these other factors um, factor into mental health. And Initially, I was kind of thinking maybe we wouldn't get to it because I'm like, that's a big-ass category. And that's a lot to cover, but I'm getting the feeling that you may have something to talk about here,
0: Jess. Yeah I, mean, yeah, I want to throw out one thing. Nationwide, 81% of women and 43% of men reported experiencing some form of sexual harassment and or assault in their lifetime it's double for us wow like wow okay wait say those numbers again 81% of women and 43% of men reporting oh, some wow. sexual harassment in their lifetime 81% of women Like and you, you can barely just be a woman out here and not you can't be a woman and not be worried about being sexually assaulted
2: And I swear, was that number, I don't know, I saw something going around recently, the number being, like, getting higher more recently, people were adding more stats, so it was, like, up to 93 or something like that, but that also could not be
1: (gasps) Well, there was a trend going around where people would be like, oh, I'm not in the blank percentage, and then they're sitting there, and they're like, holy shit, no, I'm in it, I'm in it, like, oh god.
2: That's what I was going to look, that's what I was referring to, actually, was a trend that was going around that I saw because people were talking about being a part of that and kind of making it uh, more and more, well, first of all, bring it to people's attention that they were in that percent that they hadn't really realized because it's so normalized. But um, let's just stick to that number because you found the number and I believe that source and that on its own is fucking horrifying because that means that nearly all we're at 80 plus 80% Eighty percent or more women experience that, and forty-three percent of men. That is so many people. <laughs> like, so of course play a factor into your mental illness and your mental health. I mean, holy shit.
1: Well, you have to think yeah. of just like, there's a lot of different categories of that too. There's like yeah. that that can include, you know, full uh, rape. Whether it's statutory or not, that can include sexual harassment, uh, such as, like, grabbing, getting your ass grabbed. I literally was just talking to someone the other day about how, in high school, um, one of the kids in our special needs class grabbed my ass on my way to class, and I didn't know what to do. Because I was like, oh shit, like, I don't know what to do here, because I'm not going to yell at you, like, I would probably yell at someone else, but also, like, that's not okay. Like, that's not okay, like... And then there's things, too, like catcalling, even catcalling is so demeaning. And I don't think people realize, like,
2: it's disgusting.
1: people are like, oh, you just made a comment or you complimented. And I'm like, do you know how uncomfortable it makes you to walk down the street and walk past either a man by himself or even a group of men and worry about like, oh, talking about like your outfit or your appearance or making really sexually disturbing comments? Like there are so many facets that go into what you know, being sexually harassed and, and even sexually assaulted is. And so all of those, though, every single one of them is going to be demeaning and every single one of them is going to affect you mentally in some way, whether you repress it or you not realize it or you're super upfront and recognize it right away. There's going to be some sort of side effect. Absolutely.
2: 100%. And I mean, I remember the first time in elementary school, yeah. Like, I tried to smack my ass. I smacked him in the face right back, but I got in trouble because I smacked him in the face. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> I don't remember that to this day, just that feeling of pure rage, of just, like, mm-hmm. how fucking dare you think you have the right? And I was five! I like, I was elementary school. And it doesn't stop. Yeah. That's the thing. It doesn't stop. I mean it kind of dwindles down after you become legal age
0: because,
1: (laughs) but, oh my God. Well, and there's this expectation sexually with women. There's, even if it's not sexual assault, I remember my, oh God, I, uh, being, okay, let, let me just put it out there. Clubs in Canada are way better than here. Like men are usually a lot more respectable. Um, one of my first times in the club there, I, thought a guy had slapped my ass it had actually been my friend but he was passing this guy was passing by and i turned around and screamed in his face and he like didn't know what to do because instinctually i was like what the fuck and then my friend was like it was me and i was like oh god but the worst was i remember walking and this guy was like oh my god you look beautiful tonight and i was like oh thank you just seeming nice he's like oh would you like care to dance and i was like, yes in a very formal way i was like oh i'm in a relationship like i'm sorry and the moment i said no. This oh. dude looked at me and goes, well, fuck you, ugly bitch. And I literally yeah. was like, that should not have been the reaction to you being turned down. There should not have been a hostile reaction to me saying I'm in a relationship and I don't want to dance. Like, there's an expectation that if you are nice to a female or you give them any sort of attention, that they owe you something. Yeah. And do you know how detrimental that is to almost be like a commodity to people? Like, I am not yeah. a commodity to be one. I am sorry or bo- <laughs> or whatever the fuck you want like <laughs> screw all of you i don't need men screw all actually,
2: of you i'm a Jasmine from Aladdin right there. No. <laughs> I not a prize to be won no because
1: anyway, it's no. true like
2: and it's true and also on that note though my friends and i were talking recently because i mean obviously as female presenting as female identifying as women we have struggled with the cat calling, objectifying, being stalked, followed to our cars, oh, sexually assaulted. We've had all of it. But we were talking about it, and we realized, collectively, we experienced it significantly more between the ages of 12 to 16. Yes. Yes. That yes. Was when we were, I remember having to constantly, I'd cross the street multiple times, walking in town, to make sure that that guy was actually following me before I started panicking. When people come up to me and hit on me i was like oh i'm 13 and they're like oh you look older than you are and then they no, it went on for so long but we realized that once we hit 18 that didn't happen as much not saying it didn't happen it happened but the numbers decreased and again that plays so much into the psyche of young children like by the time you're 18 you know what's happening you're aware of it and You've got a lot more fuck you than you did before, so you can stand up for yourself a bit more. But When you're a child, a literal child being sexual, you're going to be uncomfortable and you're not going to have the words to express it a lot of the time. And that plays so much into your psyche and your mental health at that age. And you might not even realize why. Yeah.
1: Well, that's, yes. that even right there can play into people as they're older, it being so normal, that so then they don't fight back. So yeah. they don't question it they don't they don't you know fuck you the and people that are doing these things to them, and they just consider it something everyone faces, which sadly to say it is something most people face, even yeah. though it is not okay. you're right, all of my both of my sexual assault instances happened, one of them was my freshman year in high school, so fourteen the other one was like in between sophomore and junior year, so like fifteen, maybe almost sixteen. Yeah. Like and not to say that it's how it is for everyone. A lot of girls and women face it throughout their life and in college especially. But yeah. during those fundamental years, you know, there needs to be there needs to be some focus on these things because a lot of young girls face it. And it's scary to think that there are twelve year olds out in the world that are facing grown men. Doing these horrific things, or making comments, or anything of the sort that is demeaning and sexualized.
0: Yeah, I, mean, I know I mentioned it before, in one of the episodes, but the first time I was ever, seeing, I'm pretty sure, it's texted um was in seventh grade. Jesus. When I was walking to home from the mall, which is literally like on yeah. the same floor as my house, and a man. Like, a 50-year-old white man who was seeming to be running by, Ooh. but he was wearing jeans, like, grabbed yeah. my ass. And yeah. we went home and told my parents, and the police told all this. But I can't... I love to do things by myself. I'm a very, like, attentive person in general. I love to go on walks. Yeah. It's just, like, I love it. And I can't even walk... I never walk alone, like, constantly checking mm-hmm. behind me. Like, uh-huh. you just... Like, do you think for long
1: term? Yeah. Yes. Well, I would yeah. go on trips, like, day trips by myself to places, and my dad is always so worried because yeah. he's like, "I, you are a woman. And he's like, uh, you have a taser, but that's not always going to do enough, and you have to be close quarters. And going to Canada, tasers and, like, pepper spray and all of that is illegal. And part of why it's illegal is because they don't have as big of a problem with it. And literally, when I came to Canada and I had my taser. My friends were like, one, how did you get that the border? Uh, but two, why do you need that? And I was like, because I need to be safe for self-defense. And they were like, why on earth would you need that for self-defense? Like we walk around it with no worry because not as, much, it's not as much of a problem. Like it's very open conversation here. And I remember thinking that was wild. And I'm like, well, I come from a country where it's like a massive problem. Like, yeah. an obscenely large problem, and I don't feel safe by myself, commonly. Like, and you have to also think, though, aside of the sexual assault and aside of all of the sexualization of children, uh, at least for me and my friends, which is a lot of in high school and even in middle school, and you experience it throughout your whole life as a woman, but I feel like especially when you're young and you're around other young people, huge stigma about being a woman and say having a period there's a huge thing about others not knowing damn near that you have a period or oh you're upset so you must be on your period being a woman in general and having the female reproductive system is so targeted in a negative light of how and as like almost reflecting how people act and that alone is detrimental like a natural body system that I have is something to be I ashamed use of. This. Yes. It's something to be ashamed of. And it's something that, oh, you're upset, you must be on your period. Yeah. Uh.
2: And I think, like you were saying, like that, that alone, having that on your mind as something yes. that you have to, like, keep private. And then, like you were saying, walking around at night, Jeff, constantly checking. Yeah. During the day. During the day. Yeah. During the day. And it's like. Right. <laughs> these things are constantly on your mind and so it's like of course you are functioning daily with all these extra things you have to be aware of and it's like no fucking wonder we have anxiety and depression when you're factoring in all these other things that you're constantly thinking about constantly worrying about i mean of course they would be
0: factors
1: yeah and And i think that's just
0: throw on top of it like not being white
1: I mean, yeah, sprinkle on top some <laughs> sprinkle on top any other freaking you know anything yeah,
2: sprinkle or, of racism and a sprinkle of sexism a, dash. a little dash of homophobia
1: literally that's, <laughs> it's just a scary mixture and it's sad that that mixture is scary like it shouldn't be you shouldn't be dealing like it shouldn't be a problem yeah of course it is
0: to live your life in, on a daily basis
1: Yes, Scare, like it makes sense why these groups, you know, have the rates that they do. And that's what I really wanted to get across was not only do we have these percentages and should we notice them, but we need to notice one, obviously, behind them. And two, the fact that they need to be recognized in topics like the ones that we've been doing, like yeah. that in these places and in these formats where we're, you know, exposing kids and giving them a sense of There's this other sense of belonging of like you're not alone in all of these daily struggles that you face and all of these, you know, things that are going on that are adding to your already struggling mental health. Like this is something that we recognize and that we want to support or, you know, be able to discuss so that people can recognize that, oh, you know, I don't want to have this person fall through the cracks or I myself don't want to fall through the cracks. Like I have these added things. So I may need added help or I may need added support because not everyone's going to understand. Like not everyone is going to be willing to even understand or try to. So that was my big thing. You know, it's, it's a huge part of the and mental illness and a huge thing be implemented in schools, because we like to, you know, hide all the stigmatized topics, such as you know, racism and homophobia, and all of those beautiful things. So, they need to be included. I think that yeah. was a beautiful yeah. synopsis. Yeah. Couldn't
2: have said it better.
1: A beautiful rambling to, <laughs> end, to end our final episode, guys.
2: Holy shit. I feel like... Just going forever, but we probably won't have anyone listening by that point.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, if someone made it, (laughs) if someone made this point, I would be impressed.
2: You know what? If you made it this far, thank you. Thank you for doing your part, at least in educating yourself, listening to us, and hopefully from here on out, you can take the next steps to spread either awareness or just just in your sphere of influence with your direct friends. Just open a dialogue. Yeah. Open, open, yeah, start a conversation with them and let them know that it's okay to talk. Even if that's not something you normally do, just normalize that between you and your loved ones.
1: And normalize it for yourself. You're not alone. Like, everyone has got their things and everyone is trying to navigate this crazy world and mental health and... All the different ways that it affects us and those around us, and you know, don't just normalize it for others. Normalize. Be willing to recognize that things like mental illness aren't who you are. They're a part of you, but they don't make up who you are. So. So
2: thank you for coming and listening to us.
1: Oh, (laughs) guys, not sad. I
2: know. Oh. This is the end of, uh, of an era. This is, this is
1: it. You know, we could always just record our random super long times. They would it's just, just end stop. up with our episodes. <laughs> <laughs>
2: you know what? Yeah, I'm going to leave it open. And thank you all for listening. Until next time.
1: Yes. Thank okay. you, guys.
2: <laughs> Bye for now. Goodbye.
1: Goodbye.